Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 8 of Plague of Pythons by Frederick Pohl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. By the morning of the fourth day on the island of Oahu, Chandler had learned enough of the ropes to have signed a money chit at the Tripler Currency Office against Koitska's account. That was about all he had learned, except for a few practical matters like where meals were served and the location of the freshwater swimming pool at the back of the grounds. He was killing time using the pool when in the middle of a jackknife from the ten-foot board he felt himself seized. He sprawled into the water with a hard splashing slap, threshed about, and as he came to the surface found himself giggling. Sorry, dear, he apologized to himself. But we don't carry our weight in the same places, you know. Get that square watsit thingamajig like an angel and meet me in front by the flagpole in twenty minutes. He recognized the voice, even if his own vocal cords had made it. It was the girl who had driven him back from the interview with Koitska, the one who had casually announced she had saved his life at his hoaxing trial. Chandler swam to the side of the pool, and toweled as he trotted towards his quarters. She was from Koitska now, of course, which meant that his test was about to be graded. Quickly, though he dressed, she was there before him, standing beside a low-slung sports car, and chatting with one of the groundskeepers. An armful of lays dangled beside her, and although she wore the coronet which was evidence of her status, the gardener did not seem to fear her. "'Come along, love,' she called to Chandler. "'Koitsker wants your thingamy. Chuck it in the trunk if it'll fit, and we'll head Waikiki, wiki-wiki.' Don't I say that nicely? But I only fool the Malahinis like you. She chattered away as the little car dug its rear wheels into the drive and leaped around the green and out the gate. The wind howled by them, the sun was bright, the sky was piercingly blue. Riding next to this beautiful girl, it was hard for Chandler to remember that she was one of those who had destroyed his world. It was a terrible thing to have so much hatred and to feel it so deluded. Not even Koitska seemed a terrible enough enemy to accept such a load of detestation. It was hate without an object, and it recoiled on the hater, leaving him turgid and constrained. If he could not hate his one-time friend Jack Souther for defiling and destroying his wife, it was almost as hard to hate Souther's anonymous possessor. It could even have been Koitska. It could even have been this girl by his side. 
In the strange, cruel fantasies with which the execs indulged themselves, it was likely enough that they would sometimes assume the body and the role of the opposite sex. Why not? Strange, ruthless morality. It was impossible to evaluate it by any human standards. It was also impossible to think of hatred with her beside him. They soared around Honolulu on a broad expressway and paralleled the beach toward Waikiki. Look, dear, Diamond Head. Mustn't ignore it. Very bad form. Like not going to see the night-blooming Sirius at the Pinahu School. You haven't missed that, have you? I'm afraid I have... Rosalie, call me Rosalie, dear. I'm afraid I have Rosalie. For some reason the name sounded familiar. Shame, oh shame. They say it was wonderful night before last. Looks like a cactus to me, but... Chandler's mental processes had worked to a conclusion. Rosalie Pan, he said. Now I know. Know what? You mean... She swerved around a motionless Buick parked arrogantly five feet from the curb. You mean you didn't know who I was? And to think I used to pay five thousand a year for publicity. Chandler said, smiling and almost relaxed, I'm sorry, but musical comedies weren't my strong point. I did see you once, though, on television. Then, let's see, wasn't there something about you disappearing? She nodded, glancing at him. There sure was, dear. I almost froze to death getting out to that airport. Of course it was worth it, I found out later. If I hadn't been took, as they say, I would have been dead, because you remember what happened to New York about an hour later. You must have had some friends, Chandler began, and let it trail off. So did the girl. After a moment, she began to talk about the scenery again, pointing out the brick-red and purple bougainvillea, describing how the shoreline had looked before they had cleaned it up. Oh, thousands and thousands of the homeliest little houses. You'd have hated it. So we have done at least a few good things anyway, she said complacently, and began gently to probe into his life story. But as they stopped before the TWA message center a few moments later, she said, Well, love, it's been fun. Go on in. Koitska's expecting you. I'll see you later. And her eyes added gently, I hope. Chandler got out of the car, turned, and felt himself taken. His voice said briskly, Stradzvoy, Rosie. Dear Koitska? Unsurprised, the girl pointed to the building. Chandler's voice answered in English with a faint Oxford accent. It is I, Rosie. Kalman. Where's Koitska's tinker toy? Oh, all right, thanks. I'll just pick it up and take it in. Hope it's all right. I must say, one wearies of breaking in these new fellows. Chandler's body ambled around to the trunk of the car, took out the square wave generator on its breadboard base, and slouched into the building. It called ahead in the same language, and was answered wheezily from above. Koitska. Zdrastvoi! Ititje suda komen! Kto kalman? Konyekno! cried Chandler's voice, and he was carried in, and up to where the fat man lounged in a leather-upholstered wheelchair. There was a conversation, long minutes of it, while the two men poked at the generator. Chandler did not understand a word until he spoke to himself. 
You, what's your name? Chandler, Koitska filled in. You, Chandler, do you know anything at all about submillimeter microwaves? Tell Koitska. Briefly, Chandler felt himself free, long enough to nod. Then he was possessed again, and Koitska repeated the nod. Good, then. Tell Koitska what experience you've had. Again free, Chandler said, Not a great deal of actual experience. I worked with a group at Caltech on spectroscopic measurements in the million megacycle range. I didn't design any of the equipment, though I helped put it together. He recited his degrees until Koitska raised a languid hand. Shto! I don't care. If we give you diagrams, you could build? Certainly, if I had the equipment. I suppose I'd need... But Koitska stopped him again. I know what you need, he said damply. Enough, VC. In a moment, Chandler was taken again, and his voice and Koitska's debated the matter for a while, until Koitska shrugged, turned his head, and seemed to go to sleep. Chandler marched himself out of the room and out into the driveway before his voice said to him, You've secured a position, then. Go back to Tripler until we send for you. It'll be a few days, I expect. And Chandler was free again. He was also alone. The girl in the Porsche was gone. The door of the TWA building had latched itself behind him. He stared around him, swore, shrugged, and circled the building to the parking lot at back on the chance that a car might be there for him to borrow. Luckily, there was. There were four, in fact, all with keys in them. He selected a Ford, puzzled out the likeliest road back to Honolulu, and turned the key in the starter. It was fortunate, he thought, that there had been several cars. If there had only been one, he would not have dared to take it, for fear of stranding Koitska or some other exec who might easily blot him out in annoyance. 